Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Welcome, Intelligentsia, to another... <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Jeffers Brief. I'm glad you're here. All right. I have to look at my board and stuff up there. All right, all right. Look, uh, we got a lot of stuff we got to get to today. We're going to try and get through it quickly because your time is valuable. Actually, all our time is valuable. So let us get started. What story do I want to do first? There's so many, so many, so many. As you may know, um, I've been talking about this for a while now. And you may have noticed, my friends, that bits and pieces around the world are starting to uh, rise up. The everyday man being gouged on food, fuel, just being gouged. You can't, can't afford it anymore. And on top of that, I've been telling you, food shortage is coming. This I found the other day. Now, if you live on a ranch, you probably already know this. If you're in farming, you probably already know this. But the rest of us don't, and this is important. It's been reported that livestock producers are now just days, not weeks, days away from running out of animal feed due to supply chain disruptions. Food, other consumer goods are no longer making their way from point A to point B in the United States. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. And that's, and that's what faces crippling supply chain bottlenecks that threaten to cause mass starvation. The latest complaint comes from the livestock industry, which says it's just days away from an animal feed crisis if rail lines fail to get their act together and quickly. Now, according to the reports, many feed users in California and other southwestern states are having to pay $3 more than the Chicago Board of Trade price to secure grain shipments by trucks as rail bottlenecks are not they're not uh, they're not improving and in some cases are getting worse now AgWeb says that they are says that not only are feed users on the brink of running out of grain entirely but there's also widespread concerns that come autumn during harvest time the situation will be exponentially worse. September, October, November, harvest time. Now members of the National Grain and Feed Association say that the issues they now face really started ramping up late last winter and early spring. This prompted the Surface Transportation Board to hold a hearing about the matter, but so far nothing has improved. Why? Because government does not improve anything. If anything, it makes it worse. Now the hope was that once summer arrived, the situation would resolve itself at least somewhat. Instead, the problem has worsened, including labor issues that are getting worse, not better. Quote from Mike Seifert, President and CEO of NGFA. National Grain and Food. Okay. You with me? All right, good. He says, what I'm hearing from our members is fewer equipment issues and that the equipment engines seem to not, seem to be not breaking down, but the train times, the amount of time it takes to get the trains and the reliability of receiving them is still quite a problem in quite a few areas of the country. So just to be clear, these are not necessarily just small food providers who are unable to secure feed shipments due to smaller, uh, being smaller players in the market. Even large players like Foster Farms and the largest chicken producer in the western United States are having trouble. 
According to reports, Foster Farms recently asked federal regulators to issue an emergency service calling on the Union Pacific Railroad to prioritize corn shipments to feed its thousands of heads of dairy cattle and millions of chickens and turkeys. The point has been reached when millions of chickens will be killed and other livestock will suffer because of the UP's service failures. The company wrote in its request to the STB this week. The fact that Foster Farms had to ask for an emergency directive towards this end reveals the seriousness of the issue. At times in the past several months we have heard from more than one member that has had severe difficulty getting feed, sometimes being within uh, several hours of being short, he is quoted as saying. Now AgWeb says the biggest problem in all this whole scenario revolves around labor. There are simply not enough people willing or available to work. And are Wuhan coronavirus vaccines partially to blame for this, we wonder. Hmm, you think? Not according to the NGFA, railroads were already down about 25% in staffing prior to the pandemic. And now they are much worse in terms of maintaining a reliable and large enough workforce. Also this week, 51 members of the U.S. House of Representatives signed a letter calling on the STB to deal with the systemic issues that continue to plague America's failing railway systems. Now, if you want to read more about the subject, you got to go to foodcollapse.com. I, am, I, for one, I am tired of hearing all these attention whores getting their faces on camera well, we demand and we ask and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And we call upon the him and we ask them. I'm tired of hearing about what you're going to do. Just do it. I'm tired of hearing about what you're going to do, what you will do. What the hell is that about? Just freaking do it. Ugh. I know. I'm I and, and, and guys, I, I don't have to tell you this, and I've well actually I do. I've told you many times before. The days of cheap chicken dinners are long gone. Uh, will they come back? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it from this. Now, when I was perusing the net the other day, last night actually, came across this. Uh, in the Business Insider. They say an expert on civil wars says the U.S. is heading toward insurgency, which is the 21st century version of civil war. Now, I've, we've talked about this over the years here on the Jeffers Brief. And I, ha if you believe that a second civil war, let's call it Civil War 2.0, will be markedly similar to Civil War 1.0. I don't even call that a Civil War. I don't. Definitions. Anyways, what we're looking at is this, my friends. It is not going to be geography-based, let's split up, you have your army, I have mine. It won't be anything like this. It will be... Uh, Yes, it'll be ideology-driven, but it won't be state versus state. It could very well boil down to neighborhood versus neighborhood. So, let me share. Now, this supposed expert, Barbara F. Walter, hardcore lefty, just so you know. Don't get crazy about it, all right? It's all right. Because... I've told you before, you know, when I was working in the courts as a court security officer, the uh, one of my favorite judges, I really liked him a lot, he was a uh, lieutenant commander in the Navy, and he was, he had an intel billet. One day I said, hey, what news do you watch? And he says, well, he, and, he, and he lists, he says, I watch the network news, CNN and MSNBC. I about went through the roof. I said, are you kidding me? He goes, hold on. He says, you cannot react or plan 
until you know what your adversary is talking about. And he said, they will tell you what they're going to do. They will advocate what they're going to do, what they think, what they say. And I'm thinking, well, okay, yeah, never mind. Sorry, Judge. You were right. And, and he was. So don't freak out. Now, this is from Business Insider. Um, Barbara F. Walters, a political science professor at the University of California at San Diego. And she spoke to the Washington Post earlier this year about the perilous state of American democracy in a far-ranging interview that trended on social media this week. How and how and this is how we know how we know that they're hardcore lefty. Lefties believe we have a democracy. Eh, way wrong answer. We in the United States have a constitutional republic. Anyways, Walter, the author of How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them, has spent years studying civil wars, investigating risk factors, the difficulties of, revolu of resolution, and approaches to ending the conflicts. Experts long believed each civil war was caused by its own unique set of factors, resistant to parallels or comparisons, but as methodology and technology improved, Walter told the Post that several patterns begin to emerge, two of which proved to be highly uh, uh, predictive. The first, she said, is a variable called anocracy. The term is a measurement used to describe several factors related to a country's government including how autocratic or democratic that country is. Now, anocracy is measured using a scale of negative 10 to positive 10, with the former being the most authoritarian and the latter being the most democratic. Now, scholars ultimately found that anocracy, uh, that that variable could accurately, accurately predict which countries were prone to civil wars. Neither full democracies nor full autocracies are at a high risk of civil war. Instead, it's the middle zones that are susceptible to instability and violence, Walter said, possibly due to weaker governments that can more easily be challenged. Now, the U.S. has boasted a positive 10 rating for several years, Walter said, but was briefly downgraded to a five. It's been since, it's since then it's been boosted to an eight. Now the second risk factor, according to Walter, is when people in these unstable democracies begin to organize political parties along the lines of racial, religious, or ethnic identity, not completely dissimilar from many members of the Republican Party's stoop toward embracing white supremacy in recent years. And that is how we know that she is a hardcore lefty. She says, watching what happened to the Republican Party really was the big surprise that, wow, they're doubling down on this almost white supremacist strategy. Yeah. That's why we have more middle-class black Americans joining the Republican Party and our conservatives now. Now, during the Trump administration, Walter delivered a campus talk in which he discussed the ways in which the U.S. seemed to be priming itself for civil conflict. She said she left despondent as attendees accused her of fear-mongering. Now, when people think about civil war, they think about the first civil war, she said, and in their mind, that's what a second one would look like. And, of course, that's, kind of, that's not the case at all. The U.S. isn't headed toward a North versus South war with countrymen fighting one another in the field, she said. Instead, the country is at risk of insurgency, which they form a civil war. That is the 21st century version of a civil war, especially in countries with powerful governments and powerful militaries, which is what the United States is, Walter said. Insurgencies tend to be more decentralized and are often fought by multiple, sometimes competing, sometimes coordinating groups. These extremists historically target infrastructure and civilians using domestic terror and guerrilla warfare, Walter said. 
Her expertise in the ways of insurgents helped lessen the shock of January 6th, she said. Well, we're going to get to January 6th. Just hold on. People who study this, we've been seeing these groups have been around now for over 10 years, Walter told the Post. They've been growing. I know that they're training. They've been in the shadows, but we know them. I wasn't surprised. Okay. The biggest emotion she felt following the siege was relief. Walter called the attack a gift and said the public nature of the destructive insurrection brought this cancer to the forefront of society. And just because the U.S. is exhibiting these predictive, uh, predictive patterns, However, it doesn't necessarily mean the country is headed for all chaos, Walter said. But the threat grows stronger with each passing day. And I think it's really important for people to understand that countries that have these two factors who get put on this watch list have a little bit less than a 4% annual risk of civil war, she said. Uh, she says that seems really small, but it's not. It means that every year that these two factors continue, the risk increases. Alright, I told you about it. Now I'm going to tell you some stuff that I am sure the mainstream media will never, ever put out there. Newsmax might, Fox won't because they're, they've turned to a bunch of pussies. Gateway Pundit yesterday Big headline. Highly sensitive DOJ. January 6 documents are leaked to the Gateway Pundit. FBI confidential human source infiltrated the Proud Boys, ran FBI operation on January 6, reported they were innocent. My boys and girls, my oh my. Somebody, somebody has leaked these highly sensitive documents and you can bet if Steve Bannon goes Thursday to do his thing in front of the kangaroo court don't be surprised if all of a sudden they don't want to talk about this because that was part of Bannon Steve Bannon's uh, list his demand if you want me to testify, we do it public and live. We're not going to do it behind closed doors. But now, all this has been leaked. So, let me fill you in, my friends. The FBI and the Department of Injustice continue to viciously, politically persecute American citizens and terrorize the public, and now they've been caught. Shame on the McCarthy-like January 6th on select committee for abusing their power and using groups like the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers as fall guys so they could punish their political opposition. This is not the United States we were promised. The lies are being exposed. Here you go, boys and girls. A whistleblower has leaked a treasure trove of documents and text messages, some marked highly sensitive to the Gateway Pundit. These documents contain incredible exculpatory evidence proving the Department of Justice was aware that a group of indicted Proud Boys were innocent, yet are prosecuting them anyway. Now you go to the Gateway Pundit, and you can find the entire dump of documents, which includes hundreds of pages of transcripts of audio-recorded interviews with an assisting United States attorney, FBI agents, and their confidential human source. The Confidential Human Source, or CHS, infiltrated the Kansas City Proud Boy group for over a year and a half before the January 6th event and kept the FBI goons informed on the group's activity. According uh, one source who's familiar with the FBI informant has identified him as James Aaron Knowles. According to the source, Knowles had gained the group's total trust and was included in all group communications. The informant told his handlers at 
the FBI that the Kansas City Proud Boy group he was infiltrating and a company to the Capitol on January 6th, quote, were not involved in, nor did they inspire the breaking of the barriers at the Capitol building. CHS, confidential human source, described the scene as the crowd doing it as a herd mentality that it was not organized. The crowd was shouting stop the vote as they made their way to the Capitol building. There were no overt threats of violence made at this time. Not only that, but the informant also testifies to the FBI that Proud Boys plan to come to Washington, D.C. to risk their own safety to protect average Trump supporters from Antifa attacks so that MAGA folk could enjoy the day and get back to their hotels safely. Meanwhile, the drinking fraternity, along with the ex-military law enforcement group, like uh, the Oath Keepers, have become the fall guys along with President Trump for the entire phony insurrection. That's right, Mr. Austin. Insurrection. Every, he said, uh, every single Kansas City Proud Boy and other individuals that the rat reported to his handlers in the document dump are indicted and facing decades in prison, even though the FBI informant that was with them that day reported their innocence. One of the men, William uh, Cressman, has been detained at a D.C. Gitmo in pretrial detention over a year and a half to date. A total of six people, including a woman who was pregnant at the time, are being charged with conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, and aiding and abetting. Carries a maximum 20-year penalty. Obstruction of law enforcement during civil disorder and aiding and abetting. Threatening, threatening a federal officer entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds and carrying a deadly or dangerous weapon. Now for background, there are currently two existing Proud Boy group indictments. The seditious conspiracy one involving uh, uh, Enrique Tario and other leaders and the Kansas City Proud Boy in indictment involving the group that the FBI informant in, uh, had infiltrated. The FBI plant made it clear to his bosses that the Proud Boys and their friends had no idea what they were walking into. There was no conspiracy or pre-planning to enter the Capitol, and Proud Boys helped law enforcement inside the Capitol. He reported that members of the group never mentioned stopping the Electoral College or certification of the election, as the FBI clearly was hoping he would report. The agents pressed him throughout his interview, and you can read the audio recording transcripts and obviously did not like what they were hearing as it did not fit their narrative. Now these documents would be buried forever and never see the light of day if they were not leaked to us by a brave whistleblower. Now get your pencils out, get your paper out. According to page 15 of the FBI's CHS reporting document, the confidential human source, a collaborative source of source with direct and indirect access, most of whose reporting has been corroborated, stated the following on January 6, 2021. The source stated the Proud Boys were not involved in, nor, nor did they inspire the breaking of the barriers at the Capitol building. The source described the scene as a crowd doing it as a herd mentality, that it was not organized. The crowd was shouting stop the vote as they made their way to the Capitol building. There were no overt threats of violence made, made at this time. Now, the source stated that the Kansas City Proud Boys and attendance at the rally entered the Capitol building 30 minutes after the building was breached to help de-escalate Trump supporters and law enforcement. Once the KC Proud Boys entered the building, they told people to stop acting like anarchists and leave. KCPB, that's the Kansas City Proud Boys, told the people to start bagging trash from where trash Cans were thrown at law enforcement along with the woman who was saying the same thing to protesters. The source, uh, I mean, uh, Kansas City Proud Boys told protesters to stop at the doors of the House of Representatives and that their voice was heard it was time to go. And law enforcement gave a thumbs up to the KCPB as they were trying to clear the area of people trying to fight law enforcement. No one from the KCPB were involved with the battery of a law enforcement officer nor did anyone damage property in the Capitol building. KCPB then went back to a rental house and adhered to the curfew in place. The source stated law enforcement seemed grateful as KCPB ushered individuals out of the building. One member of the Kansas City Proud Boys told an older, hefty 
white law enforcement that the Proud Boys de-escalated downstairs. They are clearing out. So, again, when you get when you, when you go here, I'm going to post the link on the show synopsis so you can go there. When you, when you, you get when you go there to the uh, documents, uh, scroll down to approximately page 15. That's where it gets juicy, and read it till the end. Now, the informant was also sending texts to his handlers throughout the day. The whistleblower sent us the text message correspondence between the informant on the day of January 6th. So, um, here's, here it is. The informant texts to his handlers. PB did not do it nor inspire. The crowd did as a herd mentality, not organized. That was texted at January 6th at 12.02 p.m. The response from his handlers are, uh, copy, nobody hears know what you're referring to. What happened? And that was time stamped of January 6th, 12.05 p.m. So, when you go see the full text message dump, you have to go text messages 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. While the informant does provide an honest assessment of the activity of the group, the videos and photos he took all day long of the group and sent back to his bosses were ultimately used to conjure up a case to present before a grand jury and indict these individuals. The photos and videos he provided, along with names, location, and phone numbers, ultimate landed these folks raided by the FBI and arrested. Now the photos that, are, that were sent to the FBI that the whistleblower leaked has been marked highly sensitive. The Department of Injustice has proven that they will stop at nothing to crush innocent and ordinary American citizens like ants to fulfill their agenda, said Tina Ryan of Citizens Against Political Persecution. To them, Trump supporters are collateral damage. They will ruin lives, destroy real families, hide exculpatory evidence from the public, interfere in trials by publicizing false information about groups like the Proud Boys. It is only a matter of time before they come after you and me if we don't stand up for our fellow American citizens and demand justice, end quote. Now, the informant also confirms the authenticity of the story that was broken by the Gateway Pundit last week. By reporting to his FBI bosses at Proud Boy leadership like Chairman Enrique Terrio, Joseph Briggs, and Ethan Nordin, and others had instructed thousands of Proud Boys underneath them to be nonviolent and defensive, not offensive, on January 6th. They were told to bring no weapons to the protest, according to the FBI infiltrator, there was no pre-planning whatsoever to go inside the Capitol by leadership. The plan was always to defend against Antifa and peacefully march with other chapters. Now, Newsmax host and January 6th advocate John Tobacco says, This leak is unbelievable. He says, I literally can't believe what I'm reading. It blows my mind that this is real. The extent of evil at play is just mind-blowing, end quote. Now, if you want to catch John Tobacco, he's usually on like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning on Newsmax. And he's quite a character, I'll tell you. I like him. Now, Gateway Pundit, for transparency reasons, have attached the highly sensitive transcripts of the informant's full audio interviews with the DOJ and the FBI. Gateway Pundit encourages other journalists to use these in their fair reporting, which is why you'll never see the story on the mainstream media. We encourage every citizen to read them as a lesson that the government will prosecute innocent American citizens and treat them like terrorists, regardless of the exculpatory evidence available to them, if it benefits their agenda. Now, these transcripts contain hundreds of pages of FBI agents interviewing their informant, who reports to them over and over again that the Proud Boys did not conspire to go inside the Capitol. There are interesting details that make Proud Boys endearing. For example, like the, like the story about a group returning a woman's bag to her that was lost. 
and there are pages upon pages of vindicating statements. The only thing it seems the informant thought the group was guilty of was falling subject to the herd mentality and, follow, and following the rest of the crowd in. He said some even hesitated to go inside. The informant stressed the group was not at the front of the crowd like the unselect committee has led people to believe. Uh, now, we have to wonder if defense attorneys for the six prosecuted individuals have this discovery in their possession. If they do not, it is certainly an atrocious violation of Brady disclosure laws. We do know this evidence was certainly not presented to the grand jury, or they surely would not have indicted these people. These horrific and bogus charges have literally destroyed the lives of six ordinary Americans. They don't care about Americans, regular people. We are like their collateral damage, said Tina Ryan. They will frame decorated veterans, rip a breastfeeding mother away from her infant child to lock her up. What makes you think they won't do it to you? Now, today at 10 o'clock Eastern, the Unselect Committee resumes their hearsay hearings after their latest disaster star witness, Cassidy Hutchinson, claimed her 15 minutes of fame by repeating hearsay and conspiracy theories in the kangaroo court. And she was quickly proven an unreliable witness who more than likely committed perjury. Now, the Unselect Committee criminals, led by Trump hater Chairman Benny Thompson and the traitor vice chair, the D.C. diva herself, Liz Cheney, plan on throwing the plowed boys and oath keepers further under the bus as the fall guys for this fabricated insurrection. They will more than likely attempt to tie individuals like Roger Stone, Rudy Giuliani, and General Michael Flynn to the proud boys and oath keepers by association and then somehow convince America to believe that this means Trump was responsible for the phony crimes they have charged them with, like obstruction of justice and seditious conspiracy. They have literally withheld exculpatory evidence from the public that exonerates these groups so they can have crimes to link Trump to by association. They have slandered these people's names, locked them in solitary confinement, and destroyed their chances of a fair trial in order to carry out their devious plan to keep Trump or anyone like him out of office. They seriously will never stop until Trump quits and has no heir apparent, said Ryan. They won't stop until they kill the Patriot movement and things return to the establishment norm. She continued, The Proud Boys literally came to Trump ally rallies to protect peaceful protesters from radical left violent groups like Antifa. The Oath Keepers provided free security for groups that attended and conservatives public figures that were frequently attacked. They were literally heroes, and now they're all being charged with seditious conspiracy and tortured by their own government in pretrial solitary confinement. They face a lifetime in prison. And if they can do it to these clubs, who is to say that next month they won't decide to come for Latinos for Trump or Veterans for America First, or your conservative club, your church group? There you go. That's that's there you go. Now I'm going to put a link to this in the show summary for today. Because it I've told you what I I glossed over a lot of it. Read it for yourself and decide. Read it for yourself and decide. Now, I am going to take a quick break here. Don't go anywhere. Enjoy this, if you will.
Ah, yes. Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. <laughs> All right, all right. Oh, okay, where do we go from here? Oh, here you go. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't resist this one. Uh, <laughs> these idiots. There's a new New York City public service ad on what to do in a nuclear attack. And instructs citizens to get inside, stay inside, and follow the media for updates. Officials will notify you when it's safe. Sure, if they're still around. Can I ask a, a, a rhetorical question? I'm asking for a friend. Turning New York City into an ashtray, is that really a bad thing? <laughs> That's, this is how stupid it is. It's unbelievable. Now, on Monday, the city of New York launched a new public service announcement. And it provides guidelines about what residents should do in the event of a nuclear attack. How about bending over and kissing both sides of your ass goodbye, you knuckleheads? Unfortunately, New Yorkers who watch the PSA will likely be severely ill-prepared should a nuclear weapon detonate in their vicinity as the video provides little in the way of specifics or useful information. Instead, the short clip instructs citizens to follow a rudimentary three-step plan that leaves them completely reliant on the powers that come to the rescue, if at all. Uh, I, I, I'm not making this up. I'm not. I mean, some of you out there think I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Uh, according to the PSA, New Yorkers should one get inside, two stay inside, and three stay tuned. Or as the narrator clarifies, follow media. Yeah, follow the media because they're so reliable and trustworthy. They are not. They are not. So, so after walking through the steps, the narrator hammers on the last point by commanding that the audience don't go outside until officials say it's safe to do so. And it does not address what to do if one requires medical attention or food. Now, it sounds awfully similar to another step-by-step process that has been pushed recently. Was it get inside, stay inside, and don't come out until the experts deem you can on the basis of the COVID lockdowns? Wash, rinse, repeat. However, this time we're talking about nuclear attack, something much more deadly than the fear porn peddling COVID cultists could ever hope for with the virus. But instead of preparing the public for the horrific scenario, the lack of relevant information in the New York PSA aims to create dependent masses who are reliant on the experts. And it's, a, it's at a time when we are knee deep in a proxy war with a country that possesses over 4,000 nuclear warheads. So it's no coincidence this type of PSA is being released with what's going on in Europe and the Pacific, whether it to be stoked fears or because of a legitimate burgeoning threat. Nevertheless, the likelihood of a nuclear attack hitting New York City is currently slim to none, even according to the New York City Emergency Management Department, which put the chances of a strike at very low. But, according to New York City's Emergency Management Commissioner Zach Iskall, the threat of a nuclear strike is imminent. Are you freaking kidding me? Huh. So, in one breath, they're saying, well, the chance of his strike are very low, but it's imminent. What the hell are they basing this on? So either Iskall either doesn't know what the word imminent means, which is about to happen, or he knows with something we don't. So let's go with the former. He's a, he's a moron. So, Iskall issued a statement along with the PSA's release. And he's, quote, As the threat landscape continues to evolve, it's important that New Yorkers know we are preparing for any imminent threats and are providing them with the resources they need to stay safe and informed. 
So a 90-second PSA. <laughs> I, 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 okay, fine. I'll, I'll go through with the rest of it. So a 90-second PSA is going to give you the information to stay alive if you're lucky to survive the initial blast. <sighs> Despite claiming that the department is providing resources to inform people, this is simply not the case. Arguably, the only useful bits of information provided in the entire video are instructions to get clean immediately, bag and separate clothing if you're outside during the blast. If you're, a, and that's provided you don't have fucking third degree burns. All right. If you're outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Yes, wash that ash off your forearm, please. Oh, there you go. Put it in the right, right in the back here. All right. So you remove and bag all the outer clothing. Keep radioactive dust, dust or ash away from your body. But this ash was my arm, man. Okay. Surely, surely there is more useful information that could be shared. For example, the PSA tells people to shelter inside and avoid windows. It does not. However, tell them to seal off all gaps and exits to keep radioactive materials out of the building. Something that's necessary to individuals planning on sheltering in place for an extended period, even if it's just a few days. But no, all New Yorkers get from their emergency preparedness department is essentially to sit tight for instructions and don't ask questions. In other words, relying on the officials will seemingly get you nowhere and fast. And a quick Google search would do more to educate than the new PSA. Making things even worse, the narrator of the video has a shockingly glib attitude toward the catastrophic situation she is describing. In just one example, she opens the video by stating, So, there's been a nuclear attack. If it's something that happens daily, before telling the watcher, Don't ask me how or why. Just know the big one is hit, okay? Then she rolls into a step-by-step -step explainer by nonchalantly saying, So, what do we do? As usual, don't ask questions. The experts will take care of it. It's for your health. After instructing the audience to remain dependent on the experts for direction yet again, she closes the PSA on an e equally glib note telling the audience, All right, you've got this. Here, we are going to play it. Listen to this. So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why, just know that the big one has hit, okay? So what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Step one, get inside fast. You, your friends, your family, get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. Step two, stay inside. Shut all doors and windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get... Yes, get into the middle of the building uh, if you can, because when it collapses, it'll be sure to, you know, to kill you. We don't have to go through the rubble looking for you. Clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for notify. You can't stay tuned. Because the EMP has blown every electronic within, within hundreds of miles. So, yeah, what are you going to stay tuned with? My carrier pigeon? Or, and if it's New York City, my carrier rat? NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. All right? You've got this. You believe me now you think now you know I am not making this up this is so stupid I can't even stand it it is that dumb so put it this way they really do want you dead uh, 
Oh my. Oh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I know, I know you weren't going to believe me on it. I get it. Do you believe me now? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that little musical interlude. Yay. It's always good. All right. Uh, here's, here's something for us. Uh, Survivopedia. And I don't... Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give it to you. For you preppers out there. You know, especially the newbies. You know, all, the question invariably comes up, what's the safest place in the U.S. during a shit-hits-the-fan scenario? And it's one of the... The best place to be is one where there's no disaster at all. However, you know, if a nationwide crisis does occur, some areas will be easier to survive than others. And, of course, having the right materials and knowledge will go a long way. But you can't overlook the importance of location. Whether you're looking for a place to move before a grid-down scenario or you want somewhere to flee, you'll need to know which states are safest. So here's, you know, let's, let's look at this before we get going. You know, what makes some states safer than others? And that may vary depending on the type of scenario on hand but there are a few general factors to consider one of the most important is population density when disaster strikes a crowded city is the last place you want to be unless of course you're in new york city in which case you just run inside and hold your breath and, and hope all goes well so so higher population density means more people competing for the same resources which could turn ugly and you know in, in, in you know when bad juju comes down the pipe so being closer to others will also be a disadvantage if disease is a concern and it will be you generally have an 80 percent chance of getting sick if you're next to someone with a contagious disease so large cities will also be primary targets in a war or a terrorist attack another factor to consider is resource availability you know that that includes things that you need to live like food water as well as available land to cultivate before things go south now some states have plenty of resources so it may be hard to accumulate them due to high prices or competition now being able to grow your own food and raise animals is a similar advantage to look for so pay attention to an area's environment and seasonality and along those lines you want to to favor places with the more relaxed homesteading laws. Fewer regulations will help you create a safe haven, a safe place before a grid down scenario. Gun laws, natural disasters, wildlife and crime levels are also important. Now with these factors in mind, here are the 10 safest states for a grid down scenario. Now this was put together by Martin Banks. Martin. I don't disagree with your list. It's not something I would do. Number one is Montana. And that's possibly the best state to live in during a grid down scenario. It has, it's far from major cities and has some of the lowest population density in the country. It's relatively unpopulated. Fewer people are going to rush to the area when disaster strikes. Now, the short growing season and cold winters may prove challenging, but if you can manage that, it could be one of the best places to ride out the storm. Number two is Idaho, right next to Montana. It's another excellent choice. The problem you're going to have with Idaho is you've got a bunch of lefties escaping California coming to Montana and Idaho, and they're bringing their bad voting habits with them. So, uh, Idaho, it's ideal weather for growing crops like potatoes. Keep you and your loved ones fed. However, again, you'll have to deal with a relatively harsh winter. Idaho is closer to the coast. May bring more evacuees from other areas. Number three is Texas. Long favorite state for preppers, and it's easy to see why. It's got massive space, means land is cheap. 
long growing season, some of the loosest regulations of any state. So, Ohio, an interesting choice. Number four is Ohio. Well, like Texas, Ohio has a couple major cities you want to avoid. However, apart from those areas, the state has reasonably low population density, as does much of the surrounding area. Low crime rates, relatively affordable land, few legal restrictions. So, But Ohio may also have a short growing season than some other states, but it's still fairly fertile. So look no further than its high Amish population as evidence of how easy it is to live off and the land there. And you know what? Um, you can't be lazy. Number five, Alaska. Largest state in the Union. Plenty of available land for population density. It's far from the contiguous states. It's not near any major cities that would be prime targets or centers of disaster. And it has a strong homesteading culture. Uh, it's a far northern state. You're going to have harsh winters. So you'll be limited to the kinds of crops you can grow. That said, wildlife is abundant and diverse enough to live off the land without a productive farm. Number six is Tennessee. Less environmentally harsh state to live in. It's far smaller and more densely populated than Alaska, but it's not necessarily crowded and the land is cheap, and they have relaxed gun and homesteading laws. Number seven is Maine, again. Uh, most of the states that we're talking about, they're fairly large, which means more available land, less dense populations. And again, you're going to deal with the winters. Number eight is North Carolina. It's another safe option has a temperate climate which is ideal for growing crops and avoiding extreme weather. Regulations are fairly loose in the area. North Carolina's woods and mountains also provide many natural resources while the land remains relatively affordable. Uh, North Carolina has a strong prepper culture and a long growing season. Unfortunately it's closer to some larger cities and more densely populated states than others so more people may flee there during the scenario. Number nine, Oregon. Oh, geez. It's wide, it has wide open spaces that are full of wildlife. It's a bit more temperate than some other northern states. And its gun and homesteading regulations are fairly relaxed. It has low crime rates depending on where you are, but the affordable land is also an appeal to preppers. Now, the major downside is its proximity to California. Those poor bastards still stuck there. Now, many people from this densely populated neighbor may move up to Oregon when the grid goes down. Uh, it doesn't have many people compared to California, but it has more than others on the list. Number 10, Vermont. The one of the least populated states in the Union. Small landmass rich in natural resources. Its regulations aren't the loosest in the country, but there's enough wiggle room for comfortable prepping. And again, you'll deal with long, cold winters. And it's close to New York and Massachusetts. Uh, other factors you might want to consider. you're going to need tools and knowledge necessary to make the most of your land. You gotta brush up on your survival skills, stock up on food and resources, and uh, you, you, could, you could stand a good chance that you prepare in these areas well enough regardless of the state you're in, all right? And, you know, these, the, these rankings, they're gonna change depending on the situation. You know, the types of the scenarios we're talking about, and the areas they, that they arise from will make a different uh, states more or less safe. So have a plan. Be ready to change if necessary. There you go, my friends. There you have it. So, before I leave, I leave you with this wonderful little tune for the PSA for New York City. <laughs> 
Jeffries here on the Jeffries Brief. Thanks for listening. And you know what? I do see we're getting more and more listeners around the world. Tick-tock, people, that food crisis is coming. You must, you must prepare now. Stock up. Don't wait. So until next time, I'm John Jeffers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>